KNC Masterpiece back here on 105 Through the Fan. It is our number 12 of the ninth annual Peace-a-thon. Peace-a-thon. I wanted Coming to up give next. you. I wanted to give you a quick update and tell you my goals and dreams. Last year, we raised $44,000 for my possibilities. We are now above $40,000. My goal is to get above $50,000. I still think that is accomplishable via the donations in the auction. So if you know anybody that is interested in any of our cool stuff or to donate to an amazing organization like My Possibilities, please pass on the word 1053thefan.com. Oh, we got some donation money right there. I have $21 I of mu- crisp bills. You might yeah, have to give works. them to Adrian. We are Who's probably Adrian? not legally right. allowed to take that money. <laughs> so you're it the one weird. that's going to be indicted when all of this. <laughs> <laughs> now, to go, we just go wash the money. We'll be fine. <laughs> to go along with that, Corey thinks you put it in the actual washing machine. Is 1053thefan.com slash peaceathon. From the 469, we have skeptical people around here. That's the way the world works. No way this guy is a real jewel thief. Although, the follow-up is, what are the podcasts and books he's got? Because I would love to look them up. The book I saw is Family Jewels. I believe that is the name of the podcast as well. Well, uh, Gene Simmons is still uh, ruling over the Family Jewels title. So when you look me up for a podcast, you're going to get a lot of uh, Gene Simmons. Uh, keep scrolling, cause uh, and if you want it, I did Family Jewels podcast instead of just Family Jewels. Just a weird cross promote. Derek Holland has one of his game used kiss cleats that is autographed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know, right, right, I, right I know, there. it would be unlikely <laughs> that I could cross promote, but I can 100 percent cross promote that. All right, so Brian, brilliant. What I gotta know is we go take me all the way back to the beginning. What led you to the place where you were like, this is a thing I can do or would like to try oh, or have uh, to never. try? I, I, I'm going to tell you something as, as I sit. So I went, I went away when I was 20 years old, which means when I stood in front of a judge, I was an adult. I made my own decisions. Um, so at no point could I say, oh, no, uh, poor me. I was indoctrinated into this lifestyle. Um, but when my dad came home, he presented the first robbery as I invested a bunch of money with this guy who was supposed to import diamonds into the country. And at the time, the early 90s, there were only four companies out there that were importing and exporting fine jewelry like diamonds and gold. And one of them was called Citra. And they had this catalog of jewelry. Like it, was, it was like a, a Neiman Marcus catalog back when there were catalogs. And uh, basically, they sent out jewelry salesmen to go to mom and pop places. So there were very few chain jewelry stores back then. So these guys would drive around, and to be insured to carry that much jewelry, you basically had to appease the insurance company by creating an armored car. So a lot of the guys that we went after kept all of the real stuff in their car, and all of the stuff that they would bring into the store was brass and glass. So there was one robbery that we literally got six cases full of brass and glass. Um, very disappointing day. Yeah. <laughs> but when dad came home and he presented it as, hey, guys, I think you're going to have to come out of college. Both my brother and I were going to Plymouth State College at the time. Uh, that was the time that uh, Playboy had voted it the number three school in the country for partying. So yep. please take from that what you will. I did right. not learn a thing when I went to Plymouth State sure. College. But uh, when we came is. home, uh, it was pre- basically presented to us as, uh, your entire life is going to change unless you help me out. And if you don't help me out, you got to come out of college. And and uh, I don't remember mulling it over. I don't remember calling my priest. I don't remember calling somebody for advice. I was just like, dad's in trouble. Let's do this. So we did it. And it was successful. A couple days before Christmas of that year, I was behind the garage of a man I'd never met before with my brother. The, and you could look at me, man. 
My brother was 250 pounds. I'm 150 Yeah, you're not the biggest person <laughs> in the world. No, no, no. So a lot of people would be like, hey, did you have a gun for the robberies? And I was like, well, look at me. <clears throat> My brother's 250 pounds. If he asks you for all of your stuff, you're going to be like, okay, here, have it. Mm -hmm. You're going to look at me and you're going to be like, hey, maybe I think I can take you. So no, you can't have my stuff. So yes, I had a gun. That being said, Kev's job was, because of his size, was to go out, subdue the person, and I was supposed to get the case. It's an easy job, right? First time I go to grab the case, the guy wasn't giving it up because he knew what was in it. So Kev had to, my brother had to hit him a little bit harder and a little bit more, and finally he gave it up, and we ran across the highway and hopped in a stolen car that my dad was waiting for us in. And I'll tell you the kicker was, as we drove away, my dad says, hey, guys, I don't care what's in that case. I want you to know I love you boys very much. And at that point, I would have robbed the Pope if he asked me to. Wow. Yeah. I would, I, what city was this in? This was in, uh, the first robbery was in Framingham, Massachusetts, right on Route 9, if you know Massachusetts at all. Okay. Um, and we ran across Route 9 to get to my dad sitting in that stolen car. So remorse at that moment did not sound like it was... No, when you go home, like, I went home and, like, we separated. Dad gave me the case and we separated. And I can't tell you how appealing Mexico sounded at that moment. But, um, yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> and I drove home and I opened, like, I opened the case and there was nothing in it. There were a couple catalogs. There were some things, like the eye thing that the guy uses or the thing to measure f rings and... um. I opened this little packet. It was this little white packet. And I opened it up, and about 15 one-carat diamonds hit my kitchen floor. Mm. And it, it, it's a wonderful sound, guys. If you haven't heard it before, try it. <laughs> but I dropped to my knees because I knew my dad was going to pull up any minute. And I started playing Hungry Hungry Hippos with my hands, yeah. scooping up one-carat diamonds so I can get them back in the packet and put them back in the case. But all said and done, we're talking retail. There was about $250,000 in the case, which... which um, Depending on where you where you sell that, and that's the very difficult part because now they're laser inscribing, they are certifying diamonds now for whatever that means. Because you were just joking with Corey's son off air. What's the value? What's the street yeah, what's value? The street? And so yeah. that that's to your point no, right there. Yeah, you walk into any pawn shop and you try to sell something that you paid eight hundred dollars for. You're lucky to get two hundred dollars for it in a pawn shop. When it's stolen, you're talking pennies on the dollar. Right. Now, let me tell you what was going on in Massachusetts at the time, because I grew up while the Anjulos were running Boston. They were a crime family. They were mobbed up. You can look them up. Look up Anjula right now. You get a ton of stuff because that's who Whitey Bulger ended up turning in. Oh, wow. So Whitey Bulger to save his butt and to end up taking over the area. And I got to tell you, the Anjulos ran Boston very well. I loved Boston because there was a three block section of Boston called the Combat Zone. Oh, there they so are. you can go to the combat zone, you can get strippers, you can get drugs, you can get whatever you want, but take one step off of those three blocks and act like an idiot, and you're going to get thumped by somebody. Somebody's going to say, nope, that's not the place to do that here. Go back over there and do it over there. And they ran a really a great city. You, I mean, it was the best Italian food in the North End. Did You, have a, you don't have yeah, to yeah, raise yeah, your no, hand, no, bro. I was trying to get their attention, <laughs> but I was curious. So what kind of diamonds is it that you like? Or like All of them. Okay. I got to tell you something. No, it's, sure. guys. No, I, I'm just... There's an amazing book called Empire by, uh, um, I forget who wrote it, but it was about De Beers and how, how they monopolized the diamond trade on the entire globe. That's really hard to do. But diamonds aren't rare. They are really are not rare, man. It's just the perceptive value it's the perception. that we put. Okay. So, so what's a rare diamond is a flawless diamond. Anywhere outside of that, a diamond is not as rare as, say, an emerald or a Ceylon blue sapphire um, those things, man, when you pop one of those out of the earth, you got something. The, the earth worked hard to get that. But diamonds <laughs> are, pre are pretty regular, man. They're not, they're not that bad. But 
the markup is insane. So at the time, and I don't know what the jewelry trade is like now, but at the time, it was like the drug trade. It was shady. So all of the guys that we hit, all 22 were guys that had previously claimed false robberies. So we had a kind of a niche. We were kind of like going after people that once they reported the robbery would be investigated themselves. Huh. So nobody started looking at us until like three years in. And okay. again, go ahead. And what was the what was the impetus behind the three years later? Like what led to the investigation into y'all then? God, I'll tell you, there, there were two things that worked in our favor. And the second thing, I just, I feel like a terrible person for saying, but our second robbery um, was the Jewel Mart in um, Seabrook, New Hampshire. And somebody had actually come to us the way my dad proposed it and said, hey, these people were ripped off the same way I was ripped off by this guy. If you guys go in and take down the store, all these people want is the money in the safe. And you guys can have the rest of the store. So we hatched a plan to subdue the owner. Um, my dad would go in the back and get any videotaping from any security cameras. Because, yeah. guys, that was back in video. Like, this is where you go to Blockbuster and get videotapes. Right. <laughs> um, from there, I was going to smash and grab all of the casing in the front and collect that and put it into a bag. And we were going to be out of there in 90 seconds. My dad said, if we are not in and out of a store in 90 seconds, we can't go into the store. So we go into the store and we cased it for like two weeks. Casing is basically just trying to sit in the backdrop and notice everything that happens around the business during the day. Okay, how do you do that without making it obvious that, hey... Y'all have been around here for two weeks and aren't buying anything. Or do you make like smaller purchases? Like walk me through that. What a great question because Thank it you. really got to the point where it was like, hey, um, while we're casing this place, we could very well be being cased. People go to work at the same time every yeah, day. Yeah. Eventually they're going to look over and see a red Maxima that has three guys in it. I would say two huge guys in me. Um, so no, we would change our clothing. We would change our appearance. We would change the cars. My dad had three cars at the time. We would switch those out. So it's almost an art form to sort of get the layout of what traffic will be like in and out of a store that was single standing. It wasn't attached to any other store. So as we cased this, we knew by nine o'clock he took off his, he, he wore a cannon underneath his arm. He had a 45. Wow. You get shot by a 45. I mean, like that thing just shoots through everything. And it, it frightened the hell out of me. And it was the first time we had to go in with guns. And my dad was the only one with a gun. And he had a 22. Uh, much less than a 45. You can do the math at home, kids. So um, we went in, um, and when he came out, um, he still had the gun on. So uh, uh, long story short, we we walked away from that. And about a week later, we were watching the news, and my dad came running down. And he said, put the news on, put the news on. And apparently the guy's best friend went in and shot him in the head. Oh, my oh. gosh. Yeah, cleaned out his entire store. Um, you can look all this stuff up. I actually have, I, I bought the newspaper articles of his trial. He's doing life in prison right now in Concord state prison. Um, he was so dumb because, um, he put everything in a duffel bag, including the murder weapon, including broken glass from the cases that he smashed to get the stuff out. The cops came to his house and two detectives were questioning him while questioning him while a uniformed officer was outside of his house watching. So during the interrogation, the guy says, I got to go to the bathroom, crawls out his bathroom window with the bag, goes to the neighbor's house, puts it under their porch. Now the cops don't even need probable cause. They don't need a search warrant. They can go over to the neighbors and say, hey, can we go under there and look? And they found uh, all of the jewelry, the broken glass, the murder weapon, and now James Ronco is, is away forever. 
long story short, again, um, that made everything easier for us for the next five years. Mm. Nobody, like the, the third guy we robbed had the gun in his pocket, his back pocket, in a holster, buttoned, and the pocket was buttoned. Now, I, I want to know yeah, how yeah. many times did you guys go to a bank or a jewelry store, sorry, jewelry store, and go, it's just not for us. Once. That you had to, just one time. Once. Every time you felt like after two weeks or so, we're good to go. My dad was so mad. My dad was really mad after two robberies. That one and the first one that he tried without us. So, so in my comedy, I do stand-up comedy. In my comedy, I said, you know, this is a situation where my dad decided, my dad made the decision that he was going to cross that line well before he ever brought us over the line. And he did a robbery at the, uh, it was the Pheasant Lane Mall in Nashua, New Hampshire. He dressed it up like a security guard. Um, his brother, God, do you hear the Boston? Oh, I for sure heard it right there. <laughs> you guys got me talking Boston. Um, God, it's a I, wicked good story. Though. I'm going to tell you something. I first got to Texas and I have my series set to the English guy. And I said, uh, hey, Siri, uh, lumber liquidators, directions, please. He said, uh, excuse me. What did you say? <laughs> really? I said, I said directions to lumbar liquidators. He's like, did you hurt your back? <laughs> I was talking about my lumbar. I said, no, uh, bring me to Lowe's. Um, my dad was furious after the first robbery because he sprayed the guy with mace. The guy fell on the case that my dad was supposed to get, and he couldn't get it out from under him. So he had to walk away from it, which prompted him to drive home and say, hey, you know what could help? <laughs> my son's. Um, and that's when he incorporated us in, in the, that robbery where we walked away and, and it was very dangerous for all of us. My dad was very upset. So the third robbery was one of our biggest. It was the Burlington robbery. We knew everything about the guy. We knew everything about his car. His car had three locks on the back quarter panel. One of them opened the door. The other two set off the alarm. Once you opened the trunk, it only opened about a quarter of the way and there was another padlock under there. So once we got the guy... <laughs> I tell this joke on stage that I stopped telling, which was I taped this guy to a chair. And uh, unfortunately, there's no directions on the duct tape that tells you how much tape it takes to tape somebody to a chair. Yeah, like at sense. least they could have told me how much it takes a squirrel to tape to a chair. And I could have done the math and maybe. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I taped this guy so much to a chair that my dad had to tap me on the shoulder to get me to stop. It was the same tap I get from my ex-wife whenever I couldn't hit that spot. Like, that's a joke I ended up doing. <laughs> But somebody came up to me afterwards. He's like, hey, that's a really funny joke. I laughed, but I don't want to think about you tying somebody to a chair. Mm. So we did this robbery, and we ended up getting everything in the car, and it was six full, huge suitcases full. Like, my house looked like something Johnny Depp might run into in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> It's interesting, sorry, I just wanted to ask a quick question. It's interesting you describe the different elements of, you know, just the robberies versus we had to tape this person up or tie this person up is, like, obviously you have gone through the time and everything like that, but do, did you feel different or or feel bad or worse if it was one of those situations where you directly came into contact with somebody that you're like, we have to tie this person or we have to tape. This oh, it, was all, it was all where my Catholic morality just got in the way. It just gets in the way. You can't be a robber and have any morality or ethics. Um, I will tell you that if, if you listen to the podcast, my brother was more of the ethical barometer. Like he would, he, after we did that first robbery and it was successful, my brother and I both just started to question, what are we doing here? Like by the by by halfway through after eleven robberies and one of them was in the middle of downtown Boston during Christmas. 
we were in the middle of downtown Boston where everybody was everywhere. And that was when jewelry stores do a lot of mailing. And we knew a particular jewelry store in the jewelers district was mailing stuff out to customers. And the guy had to walk down to FedEx. So we were going to do the guy in FedEx, but then we realized that's probably federal time. Let's not go that way. So let's take him outside of FedEx. But the robbery ended up being a bust. Like my, my, my dad hit the guy, the guy dropped all the boxes. <laughs> I got so freaked out that I picked up the boxes and I handed them back to the kid. Like I wasn't going to hold, I wasn't going to grab them and run through downtown Boston on December 23rd. I just wasn't going to do it. And luckily, cause we would have got busted. Um, but yes, the, my brother and I were constantly questioning. When does this end? When do we stop? Okay. We got to take another break, but I do want to come back if we can and just talk about like the end of this particular venture and then how you got to the other side with podcasting and writing books and everything like that. We will be back next right here on 105 through the fan. KNC Masterpiece back here on 105.3 The Fan. Right now, we are continuing our conversation with Brian Sobolewski. Is So, essentially, we're to the point, and correct me if I'm wrong, and by the way, in about 20 minutes, RJ and Sarah will participate in our roundtable of love, and then in an hour, we will decide the great Thanksgiving food bracket. Also, guess what's wedged in between that? Micah, Micah Parsons. Parsons. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of stuff happening. Now, wow. we're to the point... Where you are about to get caught, essentially, as that is my way of understanding. How did you get caught or when did you know that this was the only logical direction that was going to happen? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't think for a single point during the five-year period that we robbed stores that any of us think we were going to get caught, mostly because of my dad's assurance that we were doing the right thing, going after the right people. Uh, it was about halfway through in 93 when a composite drawing was done of my dad. Um, and my dad laughed. He's like, Bri, wait till you see this thing. It doesn't look anything like me. And the second I saw it, I was like, oh, we're done. Because it looked exactly like him. Like my dad thought these sketch artists like were going to draw a stick figure yeah. with a smiley face and be like, try to catch this guy. Um, I, I was really afraid. And that's when my brother and I, the last two years, really just kept asking, how many more? How many more? And the takes from most of the robberies post-93 were, were less and less. People were getting much more savvy, and people knew that we were out there. When you say less and less, I, you can tell me it's none of my damn business. What are we talking about? Less and less money? Yes. Uh, the, one of them we ended up, we did a job. We ended up doing a job that we knew that the, um, so when you go into a jewelry store and there's two, there's two doors, mm -hmm. like there's a foyer in the middle. I want you to notice that you cannot get an arm's length between the doors. Like, you wouldn't be able to hold both doors open. That's a security measure, which basically means when one door closes and the other door closes, they can lock you in there. Mm. So if you rob the place and you're on your way out, that first door closes, they're going to hit a button, and you're in there in a bulletproof chamber until the cops come. Wow. So we knew this jewelry store had that. So we were just going to order a bunch of jewelry from the place, have it mailed, and then just hit the UPS driver. So we're sitting there, and I was always the lookout. And he's, it's one of the jokes that I tell on, on stage. Everybody had really intricate jobs, and I was the lookout. Um, but I was sitting in a parking lot, and uh, we were using walkie-talkies. And my, my dad said, hey, whenever I ask you if the gravel's on the way, like I'm a construction guy, just say yes or no to say if cops are nearby. Like we had the secret code. Well, it turns out that the jewelry store had a police scanner. And was picking up our walkie-talkie oh, <laughs> transmissions. Oh. And the guy said, hey, you know what? Instead of sending out 
this $100,000 order of mailed stuff. I'm just sending out catalogs, and that's what we got. My brother robbed the UPS guy right outside the store, and we got uh, eight boxes of catalogs. So that's our worst. Take. Those are worthless. Absolutely. They really are. We tried to sell them on the street, yeah. five bucks a piece. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then from there, I, I would say that the Methuen robbery was probably one of the worst because uh, we, we, the, a guy, a traveling salesman was going into the store to meet with the owner and we wanted to just hit the traveling salesman to make it look like the owner was in on it. Okay. And the traveling salesman didn't have much on him at the time. We didn't take anything from the store. So we probably walked away with about 25 grand. And that was, that was probably one of the last, I think that might've been the last robbery besides maybe Littleton, which was a decent take. I would say from Littleton, 150 grand on the street, which would be 500 um, retail. Yeah, yeah. But we ended up getting caught when my dad decided that he wanted to do a fake insurance robbery of the house. So he asked his girlfriend, hey, what did your house look like when yours was broken into? And she said some very weird, has anyone had their house broken into before? Yes. Because they look, yeah. so like the freezer was torn apart, correct? Or no? Uh, our whole apartment was just, just shredded. torn apart. Everything, yeah. everything was flipped over and just, everything. Yeah, weird things. Like, like oh, you make sure you take frozen stuff out because some people hide their stuff in the freezer. They went and- into the fuse box. I had money, <laughs> I had cash taped into the fuse box and they opened the fuse box and took the cash out yeah, of the Yeah, because you it. think you're so clever. Like, you think you're so yep. clever taping it to the bag of something. And the thieves know that. They know. And they have fingers. They <laughs> right. They feel things. Right. Um, so I tried to make it look like uh, we bad. had been robbed. And I I called the cops, and the cops showed up. It was on Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, oh here we anniversary. Are. <laughs> Interesting. Sorry. So I called the cops, and he pulls up, and, and I, I my dad wanted me to specifically say that when I opened the door, I think I, I thought I heard something, as if somebody was still in there. Like, he would that would make it more real. And okay. he was in Mexico at the time, sunning his butt. Uh-huh. While I reported this fake robbery, and as soon as the cop went in there, the, you know, eventually the place is swarming with cops, and one cop starts walking around. He had a couple of stripes on his badge. I don't know what the hell that meant, but he was like, you know, these people were in here for a very long time. And I, I, I'm like, at that point, I'm like, I'm afraid to ask how he knows. Like, how do you know how long these people were in here? But they knew right away something wasn't right. So I got a call from a detective, a Nashville police detective, and uh, he asked me to come in because he thought they knew who did it. I went in and he just started accusing me. And that's what the cops do. It's so funny because you watch the town and Ben Affleck is in the interrogation room. Quintessential like Boston. The right quinta- there. Yeah. And it's because the statistic that Charlestown guys never ratted because you can't ever rob a bank again. And ratting back then was just, it's so funny because the first person to rat is the one that says, I'll never rat. Right. Like that's the case, guys. Like, the, like there's no, there's maybe three people in prison right now in the history of prisons that are sitting there for not ratting. And they're they're pissed. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, I'd like to rat now, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can get out of here. But um, and and when all was said and done after they arrested me, they they offered me to rat on my father and brother. And I thought to myself, you know, that's just gonna make the holidays weird. I don't think <laughs> yeah. I don't think I should do that. But uh, when he called me in t- for the insurance robbery, I knew right away when we were going down the road of, hey, we're not sure who did it. We think you did it. We think your brother did it. We think your dad did it. We think this person did it. And that's what they do. Ben Affleck is sitting in that room acting like such a, like he's so bad. But you have to understand that the cops get you in there and then they, they don't even accuse you of the crime you, they think you did. Like I was accused of the Lincoln and the Kennedy assassination in the first 10 minutes right. and I copped to both of them. I was like, I did it. I'm sorry. But they, they freak you out so much that eventually you're like, no, I couldn't have done it that day because I was robbing a jewelry store in Somerville that day. And then you're busted. Like 
I always say that that the fear of the blue wall comes from the fact that these guys have to be on the same level as the criminal to catch them. Yeah. They can't, you can't be Superman and have ideals and then swoop down and beat evil. You just can't. You have to be evil. So, so listen, I have a healthy respect for cops. I have a healthy fear for cops. There have been multiple evidence lists. There's been multiple um, pieces of property that I had that were all stolen that, that they took back and it didn't end up on any list. What was the outcome in terms of time jail? Okay, yeah. so dad got 12 years. Uh, Kev did eight, but they ended up going back for two because he didn't like probation. So we all got probation afterwards. Kev decided he would rather do cocaine, um, and that just oh. got in the way of, of of probation. So he violated, and they sent him back, and they were going to let him out on probation again. But by the time you've done eight years, two more years is nothing. Like, that's a con. Like, if you asked me to do two more years after my piffle three, no way. I'll go kicking and screaming. I won't. I don't want to ever go back there. But some of these guys get institutionalized to the point where they're okay just sitting doing time. And I ended up doing three, and I was in three separate lineups. If you've never been in a police lineup, I don't recommend it. Um, every single movie that I've ever seen in my life, the guilty person was number five. So I'm laying in bed the night before my lineups being like, don't be number five. And guess what number I got for every lineup? I'm going to go five. Number five. How come you got three and your brother got more? Because basically, I got to say, like, the, the, the disparities, like, if you really want to see the, the issue with race in America today, you have to look at the justice system. Because I went away for a crime that I should have done double digits for, and anybody of color would have done double digits for. I sat in prison with guys that were doing way more time for stuff that, that was... <laughs> Nothing compared to what we were doing. And it came down to us being able to hire lawyers with cash and being white. It, uh, it, I'm sorry. I hate saying it, but it, that's where you will see the disparity the most. Mm. And I'm sorry. Like, it, there's not a single criminal in the world that's like, hold on. Can we all just sit down and look at the Massachusetts general law book to find out what the consequences of this are? Like the, the crime or the consequences are never considered prior. Okay, and since you mentioned the consequences, and like I just really want to pull back the curtain here is we're, I'm looking at the fan text, and there are a lot of people who are obviously like riveted by your story, but there are also some people who are angry <laughs> that we are giving you the platform oh, to boy. speak. And I'm sure you go into this in your books, in your podcasts, and everything like that. Is you understand that point of view? about people who are like, I would rather not hear this story. A hundred percent. I'd rather not tell it. But at sure. the same time, um, you know, I did so I did so much good with it in the first year. Um, I, I One of the things that they tell you if you're going to sell a book is that they're like, we, we're not going to market it. You're going to market it. So please tell us if, if you can't get on Oprah, how you would market this book. Well, uh, if you look at the statistics, 80% of the book buying public are educated females. So if you write down educated females, I'm going to sell this to, uh, you're an idiot. I thought that if I talked to high school kids and I told my story and I was real with them, that that could start a dialogue with their family at home and they might want to look at the book as a tool to have an open discussion. And I talked to 16 different schools my first year. They were begging for me. Some of them were able to pay my expenses, but most of them I did it for charity because that's why I wrote the book. That's why I told the story. Everybody out there that's screaming that I shouldn't get the time, you're right. But if I don't do something with this story, if I'm not able to use it to help people, then it just dies. It just dies. And, and I didn't live this life for that. I could do what my, mother, my grandmother said to do is lie to everybody. Don't tell anybody you did this. 
But if I could use it as a way to help people, and in the, that first year talking to schools, it was a huge response. These schools need, as teachers, they can't tell their stories because they have to remain sort of anonymous. And to have somebody come in that, that can just be real with the kids. I don't expect any of these kids to rob 22 stores, but at the same time, they just needed somebody to say, hey. And tell everyone real quick yeah. that's been listening some of the names of the books and then how they can find your podcast again. So the podcast is on Anchor right now, but it's on most platforms. Uh, Anchor will distribute the podcast to iTunes and any, any way that you look at podcasts. It's called the Family Jewels Podcast. There are four seasons. Season one is the 22 stores uh, detailing the robberies. Season two is the prison. Season three is the fallout and, and exactly what happened. I, I really drive home what it's like to be an ex-con in America, guys, because this is this is a huge problem. We have millions of people that can only landscape, yeah. cook, or personal train. Yeah. I mean, those are the only three options for you as an ex-con, and it's a huge issue. And and, and I think that that we can use this force both in jail. We got a bunch of people sitting. We got six million people sitting around that could be cleaning the highways. Like we could use this force, and at the same time. Um, there, there needs to be more opportunities getting out of prison for people because that's why the recidivism rate will never change. Well, I appreciate hearing your story Thanks very, very me. much. Good, sir. Thank you for jumping on with us. It's going to be a huge turn after this as we're going to bring on RJ Choppy and his girlfriend, Sarah. Roundtable of love time. For the roundtable of love. So we're Woo. taking a hard turn, and that happens next right here on The Fan. KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. We're getting closer and closer to our goal while simultaneously stalling out. So I've brought in the closer, RJ Choppy, to help restart the bidding and the donations and get us to 50000 RJ. We're at about 41000 give or take, right now. So the Dirk, the Dirk, the Dirk number. Yeah, that's right. Why would but you want to go any higher than because Dirk? Because I like, than Dirk. I, but I like more money. Okay. All right. Fair. So unlike Dirk, I would like more money. And I will sell out to the highest bidder. <laughs> and so we're hoping to get to 50000 And to make that happen, we bring in RJ Choppy. And I'm still not sure what the participation rate is going to be <laughs> from his girlfriend, Sarah, for the roundtable of love. Welcome to you both. Well, hello. I have a feeling. <laughs> hello. Here's, here's exactly. We need to get Sarah over here. So talkative. Here's exactly. I want. I want her she to understand what's about to happen. Too. I want her to understand what's about oh, to happen. Right here. We know how oh, yeah. our audience is. All right. As soon as she says a word, what's the first thing that's going to be texted? Dude, in? Dude, she sounds hot. Absolutely. Like, that's the first that's thing that's going to be texted. All in. of the time. Any woman RJ, hops can on you Can you confirm that? They're not wrong. Yeah. They're not wrong. All right. Yeah. They're really not wrong. And then on top of that, Sarah. Because of that, donations will go through the roof. Yes. So you if, like you, kids? if you want to help charity. Do you care about kids at all? All you have to do is answer a couple of questions. <laughs> That's a good point. That's all you have to do to help all us. All right, I'll come on the air. <laughs> Hi, my name's Sarah. And people will still be like, dude, I like that raspy voice. She sounds hot. Was she a smoker? Yeah, she was yeah. smoking and drink whiskey. I think I like that. That's 100%. It's right up my lane. So, RJ, how did you two crazy kids meet each other? Uh, wow. Uh, that's a really long story here. What's up? Tinder? If that question no, is too Tinder. complex uh, for you, no, no. we're going to be in a lot of trouble. No, no, no. no. It's, it's not too, it was not Tinder. Um, <laughs> a mutual friend hooked us up, but catch. she had no interest. I get it. 
And the guy told me, dude, she's all in. She's already, like, taking her clothes off for you. <laughs> uh, so I, like, I, you know, I did what everybody does in, you know, the 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 era that we live in. I slid in her DMs. Mm-hmm. Like, Smart. I waited two days, though, because mm-hmm. that's what Vince, pa- Vince Vaughn taught me in Swingers. You got to wait two days. Absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and pause you right there. I'm sorry. Now, yeah. Sarah, I would love some insight from you there. You're not particularly interested, and this fella still slides into your DMs. What was his pickup line, and what were your thoughts? Just, yeah, just tell us. Yeah, Be yeah, honest. We got a that. handheld mic. We can. He asked me if I could eliminate one queso, salsa, or guacamole, which one I would choose. What did you pick, and did you think that was a good line? Uh, I picked salsa, but I mean, I think all of those are really hard to eliminate. But that's you gave the t- wrong answer. Salsa was always the was absolutely the wrong answer to eliminate. You can't eliminate salsa. How do you <laughs> figure she's here right now? How did she give the wrong answer? Well, in the moment, she gave the wrong answer. <laughs> uh, uh, like I thought personally, that was the incorrect one to eliminate. What was the correct answer? Guacamole. You know, I no, I I, I probably I probably would eliminate queso. That question was that never was to eliminate yeah. her though. No, that was, question yeah. was just to to get him to like her to go. Oh, he's to creative. engage in a yeah. conversation. Yeah, that's creative. Yeah. Like you know, like normally I would have I would have like I would have thought you know my first line would have been, does the toilet paper go over or under? Oh yeah, that only has one. But that was my answer. first. As she pointed out, you could talk louder. Uh, it, what happened is we I, can bring you over here too, over there, yeah, to counteract. There's yes. a microphone, but right there. Uh, I, that, it's yeah, right here. There's a microphone. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. right there. Just Use the handheld. There I you go. Turn it on. No, but I'm going to turn so this good. on. You know, you're no part of this. Uh, yeah. So that was it. All right. Well, you realize if you don't participate in this. We have to listen to RJ's version of the story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that will be 100% aligned <laughs> with the actual version of the story. I think what will happen is if I say something wrong, she'll go hit, she'll hit me. Okay. Or pinch. Okay. And, and RJ, you, would, you would be able to do tell. Do you need help? Do I need help? Yeah. I'm just making sure. You don't need assistance or anything like that? No, no. I'm, okay. I see what you're doing. Okay. I see what you're going. I have there, a yeah. quick question. Yes, Mike. Are you guys celebrating Thanksgiving together? And if so, where? We are. Okay. At my mom's. Is this pretty big? She took it. She just hold it. Just hold she it. just put it down. She just put it down. It's not going to bite you. <laughs> mm. She likes things standing up so like you're that. Doing at, at, uh, um, you're doing this at, you're doing it. That's where you would respond, That's but you don't want to. Uh, the response, no. Yeah, so, I was at my mom's house. And has Sarah met your parents? She's met my mom. My dad's in a home, so we haven't, we right. haven't, I haven't, I haven't said, hey, I have said, hey, you want to go? We just haven't gone to uh, together to go see my dad at the uh, nursing home. Okay. But yeah, she's my mom and my kind of semi crazy aunt who's going to be there. She'll be there too. Does your mom approve? Very much so. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Does she wouldn't s- tell me if she didn't either, so I really can't say. Okay. But she definitely approves. Does she compare people that you have been with in the past? You know, we're not going to go down that road, okay. I don't think. Dude. But, uh, that's, 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 I didn't say who. Uh, I said people. I said people. Yeah, do you have, people. I can't remember, do you have an Italian Thanksgiving or do you have turkey and dressing and We like, used to have Italian spaghetti. Thanksgiving. My mom has been totally Americanized. Okay. Uh, she, by the way, she was born in Connecticut, so she's always been Americanized. But okay, she's been sense. totally Americanized. We used to have fried ravioli oh. and uh, you know, uh, let's see, turkey cacciatore and sweet potato parmesan. We used to have all that good stuff. And now we don't it's have it Now it's just turkey and. But sh- does she make it all, or is it kind of everybody brings stuff? She makes most of it. What are you making? You know, you can talk to the microphone. Say Corn souffle. Louder. You're Corn? also holding a microphone. Yeah, you're also <laughs> holding one in your hand. <laughs> okay. So Corn she, and I, souffle. And I brought a. Uh, I brought a, a pie with uh, with rum. Was it rum? No. Did you make it Whiskey. or buy it? I bought it. 
Yeah, I bought it. No, I'm do not you gonna. make things? Uh, besides, Saracen's what was the no. joke we heard this morning? I make reservations. That's what I do. Okay, from the <laughs> nine seven two, my go to pickup line that always works is, "Hey, girl, do you know karate? Because that body is kicking." See, I prefer the one. Do you know where I could buy an air guitar? Oh, that's a good pickup line. What happens? Next? What, yeah, what ha- what's the next? Yeah. Can we hear the rest? It's just a, there's no there's no next, <laughs> just an icebreaker. It obviously never worked. Yeah. Okay. You can't buy an air guitar, Kevin. It's a great line. Are you kidding so me? So your goal is to bamboozle <laughs> people into continuing to talk to you. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I mean, get I, it. I, you know, if I could trick them into talking to me a little bit longer, absolutely. How long have you guys been together? Debatable, but you know, we're, what we're, does we're, that we're, mean? We're going with, debatable. We're going with uh, we're when going did with, she what, accept we going, it? April 1st. We're going with April 1st and Easter. We're going with Easter. Okay, Easter. what does the was this a negotiation? How did that take place? You know, and, we don't really have a first, uh, you know, we were we were kind of it's uh, it's fluid, right? It's very fluid. We don't have it. Have y'all talked about is it still fluid? No, yeah. okay. No. Yeah. She, she, she I have no idea what was just said. She, she said, said she, she wasn't, wasn't ready. ready. The race, she really has. Help uh, us out here. She had no that. desire for me at all. I still debate. Uh-huh. She, I know she does. She does now. But I would say there was a time, probably in like, you know, March or April, I was really questioning whether she had any desire of me. I really think at have, that point. Have y'all talked marriage? Oh, those are great looks that are She's happening. She's smiling. He's, up. It's not just me. I believe her statement was, he does, Ooh. to which you heard RJ's response. Yeah. No, we, uh, we've we talked about, but very briefly, very little, very little. More more so moving in. Have y'all That's talked children out of wedlock? We've not talked okay, all right. children out of wedlock. Look, you shouldn't hate on that. Sometimes <laughs> you do your best and you eventually have a child. You with forgot your who Brandon was today. Yeah, you yeah. forgot your own child. That's Did you forget him? Because I had the kid in wedlock and I was like, yes. And oh my God. sometimes is, is the is the uh, the marital baby is is he your favorite child? Uh Neither one of them have much of a use for me right now, so for totally different reasons. I do think this is a very important question. I don't know if this is necessarily from the fan text. Sarah, have you ever seen RJ actually take a blue chew? Uh, Is is that something that's popped up in life? Should it? No. Oh, there you go. Good. I don't know if this would have continued if she She said... She hasn't seen it. Yeah, he's going to... Doesn't mean I haven't taken it. it Man, that is a... That Jesus, is a great point. All right. Would you guys like to continue? And if we do, can we convince Sarah to go on Mike, or do you need to get to the hockey game? What time's the game at? 7? 30, okay. I think. Is it 7 or 7.30? One of the two. Either way, we're, we're like 10 minutes Good from the AAC. 15. We got time. Dude, with right. that traffic? Yay. I can't Jeez. say. I can't guarantee she's going to come on. I'm. She should. I think she should. She should just grab this giant microphone in front of her and start talking. Yeah, I, she I doesn't want to. I am hoping that that happens for the nine zero three. I am all in on this train wreck of a segment, <laughs> and I support you for that. Coming up next, it's it's intriguing. We will continue the roundtable of love and determine if Sarah is in fact being held hostage. I do not believe that she is, but we have determinations that we need to make. We will do that next as we start our number thirteen. Of Peaceathon. Remember, 1053thefan.com slash Peaceathon if you want to donate, bid, etc. I would appreciate it. We would appreciate it very, very much. Back with a roundtable of love next on the fan.